If you're a Christian and you're going to walk the way, it's important that you have everything you need for your walk. Just as a hiker has his walking stick, the right shoes, and a map, Christians have their hiking gear as well. An important one is prayer. But many of us struggle with prayer. How do we begin? What do we say? When should we pray? Well, today I speak with my good friend, Gary Neil Hansen, who suggests in his award-winning book, Kneeling with Giants, that we should begin by bringing scripture into our prayer lives. You're listening to The Way with Father Dustin Lyon, a podcast of the Ephesus School Network. This is Father Dustin with The Way Podcast, and today I'm really excited, as I said, to be with uh, my good friend Gary Neil Hansen, and I think I've known him since, was it the summer of 2013 that we met? That was, uh, I couldn't place it, but it was back in that zone, yeah. I I think so, because we were in our building, Mm -hmm. and the building finally collapsed in (laughs) 2014, but I think I was still pretty new to Dubuque at the time. That's right. So Gary came to one of my Vespers with a lot of uh, other colleagues and theologians from the seminaries in Dubuque to see what an Orthodox Vespers was like, and we had a nice potluck afterwards. And then uh, Gary and I went out and had coffee and had some good conversations, and he became one of my regular parishioners on Saturday nights and started to learn some Byzantine chant. (laughs) Which is great stuff. It's great stuff. Uh, And one of the things that I learned about him is he is a best-selling author, and he has the book called Kneeling for Giants, uh, which won a number of awards, and he has other books as well, and I'll put links to them in the descriptions below so you can purchase them. But Kneeling with Giants is the idea that we learn to pray by using methods that other saints, if you will, have used before us, and we can adapt those or use those, and so we stand on their shoulders and, and learn to pray ourselves. And this was a question I had as a young kid. I remember when I was really little, I would go to bed and think to myself, I I should be good. I should pray to God, but I don't know how to do this. And so I I would say, well, if I were praying, what would I want to say to him? And so I'd go through my head, you know, late at night and all the sort of things I would tell God, you know, what went well in my day, what I didn't like or, you know, blessings and thanks or whatever it was. But then after I went through my list, I thought, I don't know how to say that in a prayer. And then I would say, well, Maybe that was the prayer, and I would fall asleep. <laughs> there you and, go. And, and I've since then learned, you know, a lot of different ways to pray. And, and Gary has a nice book talking about a lot of those different ways. But today, we want to talk about bringing Scripture into your prayer life and using Scripture as a sort of backbone. So, uh, so Gary, if we want to use Scripture to pray or bring Scripture into our prayer lives, where do we begin? Well, you know, I think the way to begin is uh, with a thought that comes, I think, most memorably to me from uh, a Catholic theologian of the 20th century, Hans Urs von Balthasar, who has the virtue of having the name that's most fun to say. Um, he wrote a little book called Prayer, and in it, he points out that anything that we actually say in our own words in prayer is really only a response because it's God who has spoken first. 
uh, God speaks to us, God calls out to us, and we answer, and then God, you know, the, they can go back and forth, but um, we tend to feel like we're sitting in the darkness, all alone, far away, trying to start a conversation with someone who may or may not be listening. In fact, God has spoken from the beginning, as John puts it, in the beginning was the Word, you know, and the Word was God and the Word was with God and that Word became incarnate and dwelt among us. God has spoken in Jesus Christ. And so, you know, you can turn to the pages of the Gospels and you hear Jesus speak, God is speaking to you. You read the the Psalms and you hear the prayers of the people of Israel and in the midst of it, you hear God speaking to you. Uh, all throughout the scripture, God is calling out in all kinds of words to different kinds of people in different kinds of circumstances. Uh, so, starting by realizing that we don't start the conversation, I think is helpful. We can turn to scripture. You know, if you're drawn to the gospels, I think it's a great place to start because you do see Christ incarnate face to face. Or if you're drawn to the Psalms, those are a great place to start because they're putting human words into prayer for us. But either way, you start with the scriptures and you're listening. Then, Having listened, all you have to do is answer, and the conversation's rolling. I like that because a lot of people are listening for God, but they don't know what they're listening for. And and of course, in contemporary society, maybe we have this idea that God's going to give you a vision of some sort. (laughs) Or you you audibly hear God, or he'll tell you what to do, or sometimes you hear people talking that way. Um, You know, God tells me that I should go do this or go do that. I, I really like that you're building a foundation that God is speaking through Scripture. First off, we need to familiar ourselves with Scripture. And like you said, starting with the Psalms is a good place to start. So some people may say, well, Scripture is written for people thousands of years ago. What does it have to say to me today? So how do we listen to an ancient text in a contemporary context? Hmm. Yeah, I, I think that part of it's conceptual and part of it's practical. Conceptually, you have to realize that it's the same God talking to the same humanity. Those people might have lived in a previous century. They might have lived, uh, might have spoken a different language. And yet they're human beings created in the image of God. And God was reaching out to them, trying to draw them near, trying to bring them home, trying to bring them redemption and a deep, loving, trusting relationship. So if conceptually it's always God talking to humanity, well, then we just need to kind of, try to figure out what's really culturally laden and what is more universal. And I think it's trusting God and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. You're going to sort that out. What one of my favorite prayers uh, in the Anglican Book of Commu- uh, Book of Common Prayer is the the in, in America that's the Episcopal Church, but the Church of England's Book of Common Prayer has this one of its annual prayers. Every there's a prayer for every week of the church year, and one of them is about Scripture, and it asks that God would help us to uh, approach Scripture that we would read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest it. Uh, that's just uh, that's a beautiful language in the Book of Common Prayer. It's some of the best prayer language language ever put into English. But I like that it's a fourfold movement. You know, you start by simply getting to know it. Read it. It's a book. You know, start at Genesis, go on to Revelation, then start over again. You need to take in the sweep of the story by simply reading it. But then you need to do more, right? You need to mark it. And for me, that is reading with care and attention to how it connects to me intellectually, 
how it connects to me emotionally, how it reminds me of things in my world. And that's why it's nice to have a Bible and a pencil, uh, and you can underline some things. You can write a note in the margin of what you were going through that day uh, as you encountered a particular text that seems to leap out with you. You mark it because it matters and it speaks to you, and sometimes it blesses you, and sometimes it chastens you. It somehow catches you at a particular moment and you mark it. And if over time, if you're not only reading for content, but listening for connections and marking them down along the way, um, you're doing more. Read it, mark it, learn it. Well, there's lots of ways to, there are lots of ways to learn the scriptures. Uh, Some emphasize scripture memorization, you know, taking a psalm and verse by verse or over the course of a week or a month, memorizing it so that you've got it deep inside you. And you can see if you read a lot of medieval literature or patristic literature, that that used to be the practice, you know, that you, you read these books by whether it's Augustine in the West or Gregory of Nyssa in the East, sometimes page after page is just practically woven together psalm quotations, right? They, because they know those texts so well, they have learned them by memorizing them and praying them. And then they are those words are at their disposal, and they can hardly think or pray or talk or write except in the words of Scripture. So, and so sometimes it's learning in more, well, more studious sort of ways. Maybe you want to take a class to learn the history of the scriptures, or maybe you want to take a class on scripture, uh, the Bible as literature, or maybe you want to do an intensive study of a particular gospel or the book of Romans or whatever seems to be of burning interest to you. But you study it, you learn it, you learn its structure, you learn its patterns, you learn its key vocabulary. And by the time you've really studied it, it lives with you and walks around the world with you. And it's there in your mind for your disposal. The one I love, though, is the final one where it's inwardly digest. So it's read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest the scriptures. Uh, and for that, I, I always think of uh, the classic monastic and medieval practice that's called Lectio Divina or Lexio Divina, depending on how you pronounce it. I was just going to ask you about that, because I, I know reading through your book and, and having conversations with you, uh, one of your favorite medieval authors is Guido II. Is it, am I saying that right? Aguigo. 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 Aguigo is a more, uh, more modern name. He was actually Guigo II. He talks about Lecto Divino and how to chew on Scripture. Mm-hmm. And it, it's, it's a process. It's almost like a meditation, using Scripture as a meditation, if you want to think of prayer in that way. And so I was going to ask you if you could talk a little bit about that and, and lead us briefly through his approach to Scripture and, and praying with it. Sure. Yeah. And I, as you said, I I did write this little book, uh, Love Your Bible, that sort of walks, it's sort of a modern commentary on a medieval text about Lectio Divina by this guy named Guigo II, who wrote a book called The Ladder for Monks. And he likes to use a food metaphor for the whole, for all the steps of the process. And it starts with reading, he says, and he call and, he, and by reading, he really means study. But he says, that's just like seeing a bunch of grapes and plucking one and putting it in your <laughs> mouth. And, you know, you're, all you're doing is holding a grape in your mouth. You don't get that much nutrition. The second step after the reading is meditating. And that's where you chew it. So for Guigo and for most Western medievals, uh, meditation is rumination. And, you know, you and I both used to live in Iowa. We know cows, right? Cows are ruminants. They pick up a a bunch of grass and grass is completely indigestible. So they have to process it through their series of stomachs and they burp it up and they chew the cud, right? They take that fibrous material and they chew it and 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 chew it. And And that's what meditation is for a medieval monk or nun or a medieval Christian. If they're uh, under some kind of spiritual care and guidance, they take a passage of scripture 
a short passage. And you, as if you're chewing your cud, you repeat it and repeat it. And the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And you're ruminating over it, repeating it and repeating it and repeating it, maybe saying it a long breath, uh, but in but repeating it enough that eventually you're no longer having to think about it. But in a way, because you've chewed on it so much, you can put it at arm's length and you can really think about it. And, you know, when you just take a little phrase like that, it has all kinds of angles. When you say, you know, in one sense, it's saying something specific about who your shepherd is. The Lord is my shepherd. Well, then I start to think about who the Lord is. And I think that's pretty amazing to have the Lord for my shepherd. But then there's another sense that it's about the Lord is my shepherd. So what, is that? what makes me learn something about a shepherd? What does a shepherd do to guide the sheep and bring them to the cool, clear water and bring them to the good green grass and protect them from danger and all the things a shepherd will do? And, but then there's also the Lord is my shepherd. You know, and this text, this one little passage is telling me something very particular about God's care for me. It's not that God is a shepherd in general of other people, but maybe forgot me, but no, it's about the Lord is my shepherd and it becomes very personal. So as you, as you do that kind of meditation, that kind of rumination, the chewing and chewing leads to a kind of, well, it leads you to start the digestion process, which is <laughs> what for, uh, for Guigo moves on to the next part. So he goes on through praying from praying about the text, praying, you know, you, the, having chewed on it, it puts you in a position, particular spiritual awareness of it, of the ways that God is calling you or the ways that God is commanding you or the ways that God is blessing you and healing you. And so as you come to that awareness, you begin to have a conversation with God about that. And that's the third step. And the final step is uh, contemplation, where you turn and turn your hearts and minds gaze toward God, and you wait for God to respond to the prayer that you've made. But it's all tied into an, a prayerful engagement with a particular passage of Scripture. One of the things I hear a lot as a priest is people come to me and they say, Father, we want to learn more about the Bible. And they'll say... We start on Genesis, page one, you know, in the beginning was the word, and they start reading through. But then they get to the end of Exodus and into Leviticus and Numbers, and if they make it that far. And they get lost in a lot of the technical legal stuff, you know, the sacrifices or what the dimensions of the temple should be or how the vestments of the priest should be made. Is there any advice praying through those sections? Because they seem like just historical details that we can pass over. Well, I, I think that, that when, you know, if you think, go back to what I was saying about that prayer from the book of common prayer, where there's read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest. Those are, there are, there are lots of places in the Pentateuch where the modern person having their first encounter with scripture should read through them, but probably should not bog down in them. You know, if you were an Orthodox Jew rather than Orthodox Christian, you'd spend a lot of time dealing with a whole rich conversation in the commentaries of the Talmud that are exploring those and those those commandments and their implications and their meanings. But you're not right. So it's good to hear and to think, okay, along the way, I'm reading through. God really cares about these descriptions of the temple. God cared enough to put it in the scripture, the measurements of the temple, and the kinds of fabrics and the kind of materials. So. I can key in, okay, God cares about worship. God cares about beauty. God cares about things in this material world. And somehow that reflects and aids us in our journey of worship and prayer. But I, but I don't have to 
stop. I mean, there's, there's more interesting stories. It's better to start with the stories, right? You're going to spend a little bit more time locking in the stories of the struggles and the, um, you know, the sins and the forgiveness. It's not all stories of saints. There's stories of sinners. It's all the story of real human beings like us. So keep moving because take in the sweep. Eventually there's too big, it's too big to swallow all at once. So once you've taken in the sweep, then find the parts that you think, boy, I really remember such and such a part. And I really, you know, maybe, maybe it's come to the season of Advent and you remember these promises in the prophet Isaiah and you think, I should really spend some time with that. We'll go back and find those things and spend your more meditative, prayerful time on those pieces uh, that really are important to you in a particular spiritual moment. For me in Advent, I love to um, spend my time on uh, the great songs, the song of Gabriel, and then the song of Zechariah, the song of Mary, and the song of Simeon um, from the early chapters of Luke, because they bring me right into what Advent expectation and waiting for the incarnation is about. But you know, you you've got to make a you've got to make a choice. And if you're gonna, for me, if I'm gonna choose where I'm gonna spend some real concentrated meditative time or some concentrated study time, I'm probably gonna opt for things that have grabbed me already, you know, that I, I've already got an inkling because of having read the text. I've got an inkling that I ought to spend more time there. And it's probably, it, maybe it could be, I'm not going to rule it out. It's probably not going to be the measurements of the temple. But it might. Be. <laughs> <laughs> well, it reminds me once when I, the Jewish synagogue in Dubuque always had an open house every year. And so one year I went and the reading was from Leviticus, one of those boring sections. <laughs> and and I remember afterwards, the rabbi got up and she had to give a sermon on, I don't remember what the passage was exactly, but one of these legal requirements that seems like it was meaningless in today's contemporary world. And she did exactly what you're talking about. She talked about how God's care for that little detail translates into you know care for the community and what that looks like today. And it actually ended up being a very good sermon on a what otherwise would be to most of us, I think, a very boring passage. And, and that requires, I think, going through those sometimes and, and then chewing on that and thinking about it and keep asking yourself, what is God doing here? Why would he say this or what would he do or what are the implications of this? And, and really kind of thinking about it and spending some time with it, even mm -hmm. though it may seem boring at first, we may have some surprises uh, behind it. Um, True enough. God may speak to us. Yeah. 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 I think that's true, especially in the long run, you know, as you, as you become more attuned to having prayer as, as scripture, as part of your spiritual life, as you're part of your conversation with God, well, then there's a lifetime to deal with every individual part. Um, if you're at the beginning point and you're just trying to integrate scripture in your spiritual life, I think it's perfectly fair game to start with the bits you find interesting, right? Mm -hmm. Don't, don't, don't punish yourself by starting on the parts you have, you find impenetrable, you know, go for the penetrable bits. Yeah. And I, and I don't mean to say you have to search out those ones that you find challenging. Um, you know, uh, neither should we be afraid of them. Right. So if people want to start praying with scripture and they like the idea of spending time with a particular passage, how long should the passage be? You know, we're talking about a paragraph, a chapter, a story. And then yeah. how long should they spend with that one particular section? You know, a day, a week? Uh, yeah. 
I think you need to give yourself a certain amount of flexibility. You need models, and I'll talk about some good models. Um, but you need to have a, to give yourself a little bit of freedom of flexibility. You know, Martin Luther, the great Protestant reformer of the 16th century, um, would would teach people to pray one particular bit of scripture, the Lord's Prayer. That was always his teaching text on 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 the beginning point of the practice of prayer. And he would want them to pray through the whole of the Lord's Prayer using it as an outline for the kinds of topics that they themselves wanted to bring to God. Things about God's reign in their lives, things about God's reign in the larger world and the expansion of uh, God's influence would come under the category of, you know, your kingdom come. Or, you know, various kinds of things. Your personal needs might come under the category of give us our daily bread. But Luther would say, you know, I... On the typical time of taking a time of prayer, whether you're spending 15 minutes or whether you're spending an hour, you'd work your way through the whole of the Lord's Prayer. But he would, but he said on a couple of occasions, sometimes the Spirit's going to nudge you and you find yourself spending a whole long time on just one clause of the prayer. Well, take that as, a, as something to take seriously and just give yourself to praying right now, um, your kingdom come for an entire period of prayer, whatever your period of prayer is. Uh, because... That's being part of the part of the nudging process of God's part of the conversation is getting you to attend to the things you need to. There's no, it's not a matter of rules and regulations. You must get through the whole of the Lord's prayer every <laughs> time you pray it. Now, I think that um, depending on what you find as a useful way to approach prayer, uh, scripture as a as a part of your prayer life, you 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 will probably expand your options if you have some different models in mind. You know, the one I was talking to you be- about before uh, with Guigo II and his ladder for monks, or as I put it in my book, Love Your Bible, uh, this four-step process of Lectio Divina. You know, when, Lee, when Guigo does it, his example through the whole of the book is simply one of the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall see God, I think is the one he uses. No, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And so, basically, his idea is you're doing about a verse of Scripture as you're, as the whole prayer time. And he, if he was a, a monk, you know, he might be spending a period of a couple hours on that verse. Now, that's not probably uh, – starting with a small piece of Scripture like that is probably good advice for us as we begin – Starting with a two-hour block is probably not good advice for us as we begin. You know, you need to start small and find your way in it. Um, I find it useful uh, to have a block of a good 15 minutes as a good starting point because you have to be with it long enough for it to matter to you. You can't, it's not just reading it and putting it away. You got enough time to pay attention in that, in one of those sort of meditative processes. Now, you might, though, if you were to follow the advice of someone like John Calvin, who's another one of the great reformers of the Protestant uh, Reformation in the 16th century, his approach was um, was really study as prayer. And he would take, he would, he would prayerfully study his way through a psalm. And, I, and to my mind, trying to do what he did, you need to take a whole psalm, uh, which is more than you would do with the Lectio Divina with Guigo II. Uh, but you see different things if you study a whole psalm because you're going to look at the poetic patterns. You're going to look at the the rhythms and the parallels and all the things that are going on in the course of a, an ancient poem, which is what a psalm is. 
Or you might, um, if you wanted to have another model that's quite useful, if you're not, if just raw study as prayer isn't floating your boat, and if you don't like just to chew and ruminate on a single verse, uh, another great uh, leader of the Catholic world in the 16th century, St. Ignatius of Loyola, would take people on extended retreats, and one of the tools for prayer that he would use was a tool for praying the scriptures. And on a day, you know, he would spend about a week of their retreat. It's a four-week-long retreat, not for the faint of heart. Um, (laughs) So, the first week, they'd be orienting themselves and figuring out what they ought to be talking to God about, what's really going on in their life that they really need to bring to God in serious prayer. Well, then in the second week of the retreat, he starts a process that he does day after day after day, where they take They sort of have a passage of the day, and it might be the Annunciation of Gabriel to Mary. It might be some other passage in the course of Jesus' life. I always like when I'm teaching this, I like to um, use the the wedding at Cana, which I find particularly rich for the process. So, he would send them off to study that passage. Just, Just study it and pray through it, study it for an hour. Then he'd talk with them about it, send them back out to study it for another hour talk about it. Then he'd start the real process, uh, the prayerful process that he called the prayer of the senses. He would send them out for an hour where they use their imaginative vision to imagine if they were in that scene of the Gospels, what would their eyes have seen? Some of those things are written in Scripture. Some of those things are assumed. Some of them are between the lines. And some of them are not mentioned, and you can imagine them at will. But what would you imagine yourself seeing if you were at the wedding at Cana? All the things, all the dress, all the food, all the what, the dancing, whatever you might see at a at a at a wedding. Then you talk with them about it. Then you'd go out and spend another hour with your hearing. What would you imagine yourself hearing? You'd hear the things that are said in the gospels, but there are other things that are not said, and you that would certainly be going on in the ambient sound of the environment. Um, and you then you'd talk to him about it, and then you'd go back again a third time. And what what would you what would your sense of taste and your sense of smell encounter if you were in that text? Well, you know, by this time, and then the, and the fourth time, you're doing your sense, your sort of bodily feeling sense. What does it feel like uh, to be standing there, sitting there, kneeling there? What are you doing? What is your body encountering? Well, now, by the time you've done that, you've really invested yourself in this scene of Scripture. You've invested yourself emotionally, imaginatively, intellectually, and you sort of have to think, oh, if I was to see and hear and smell and taste and feel all those things, I must have been a particular person. Who was I? Well, what, what, what Ignatius would then have you do, he'd have you take another turn in that, in that same story, imagining it fully with all that emotional, physical, imaginative investment, and say, I now I'm going to ask my question to someone in this text. You know, if it's the wedding at Cana, you could go straight up to Jesus Christ and ask him your question and imagine what might he say, or you could talk to the Blessed Virgin Mary, the Theotokos, and hear what might she say to you if you asked it, or one of the other disciples, or a servant, or the bridegroom, or whoever it might be. Um, now, this is not to say that what you hear is automatically the word of God. It's an imaginative prayer exercise, right? So, what you're trying to do is listen more fully to God in the context of dwelling in Scripture. For Calvin, it's much more studious. What does the Scripture actually say? What does the poetry lead you to think? What does the, the vocabulary connect with in other parts of Scripture? For Ignatius, it's where does it take you imaginatively so that you can free yourself up from your constraints and think about it, feel about it, imagine about it. Now, Ignatius wouldn't even let you make a decision based on this. You know, he would say, <laughs> you think you've heard what Jesus says to you in response to this. That's fine. Tuck it away. We'll come back and we'll do another passage tomorrow. And you'd keep asking your question day by day by day in passage after passage after passage. Because 
it's not God's part of the conversation is not always so clear as we want it to be. It's not so easy as just sticking up your antenna and getting a message from on high. He wants us to listen with scripture, right? Because God, the scripture is in a different sense that Jesus is the word of God incarnate. The scripture is the word of God written and preserved for us by the, the faithfulness of the church and the activity of the Holy Spirit over 2000 years. So we want to be able to listen to it. We want to be in it and listen to God in the midst of it. That's kind of what I think Ignatius is getting at. I'm thinking about how I can apply this in my life. So every day, you know, when I do my morning prayers, I usually read the daily lectionary reading. So there's one from the Gospels and then one from usually one of the letters of Paul or one of the other epistle writers. And there are some days where I'm looking at the clock going, oh, I'm running late. And so I'll, I'll kind of rush through my prayers. I'll read the reading. And then on my way to work or wherever I'm going, I'll, have to, I'll think, I have no idea what I just read. I have no idea what today's scripture was. <laughs> I rushed through it. And this process sounds like a very good way of kind of slowing down. Mm. Because as, as you're thinking about some of these contexts, you know, what am I smelling? What am I hearing? What am I seeing? What would I be tasting? Um, you become more familiar with it. And, it. and when you associate with those senses, I think it'll stick. Because that's yeah. what a good story does, right? A good story, right. they may seem like little tiny details, but they're things that kind of help us draw us into the story to remember it. Um, so today, and I do remember today's reading. <laughs> so it was, it was from Luke when Jesus asked his, his disciples, who do people say that I am? Mm. You know, some say you're John the Baptist, you know, and uh, some say you're Elijah. And then finally, Peter says, well, you're the Christ. And so it seems to me like a good way to do that is I could spend some time in the morning with it. But then maybe at lunchtime or maybe later in the evening, you know, however I structure my day, I could come back to that passage mm -hmm. and I could think about that passage from another aspect, you know, those, those different ways that you're talking about, mm -hmm. um, you know, or even simply for that particular passage, if I were there, what would I have said if Jesus asked me, Yeah, you know, if I had been there kind of, I haven't seen the crucifixion yet. Mm -hmm. But I've seen him do some some strange miracles, some strange things. He said some very strange things. Mm -hmm. And who would I think he is? Why would I be there listening to him or following him? Um, and then when Peter gives the correct answer, of course, the passage will go on. He ends up getting called Satan. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but then what does it mean if the correct answer is you are uh, the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one? What does it mean to be anointed? Mm -hmm. And then uh, think about it like that. And, and I could almost structure my entire day around that one passage. Indeed. And, and kind of pull the prayer throughout my entire day then. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's awesome. You know, if you can if you can dwell in a passage throughout the day, you know, not everyone can do that. But if you can find a way to come back to it again and again, then it's a prompt, right? It's mm -hmm. God's, God is saying, I told you this thing this morning. I'm telling it to you now again. I'm really, I really am saying this. And then, you know, it, and you might respond differently to it just because of where you are at a different point in the day, but mm -hmm. you're responding and responding and responding. So the conversation, I would think, becomes rich. And the encounter with scripture, it's easy, I think, for a lot of us um, to think that scripture is separate from prayer right? That we think we study scripture, we intellectually take in this book, and then we set it aside and we come back and we pray. But having that kind of what you're describing as an ongoing encounter throughout the day with scripture nurtures, uh, nurtures getting it into the conversation between you and God. Mm -hmm. And I have to think that's a really good thing. Yeah, I do too.
So I, I think we'll wrap up there. Um, again, everyone, thank you for listening. Um, I'll put some a link to Gary's books in the comments below. So if you if you're on the transistor transistor website or if you're on my personal website, you can click and check out his books. And he has he has a lot more details and a lot of ideas and different ways to pray. And so I think I think he has something for everyone in his book whether you're creative or more logical or whatever it is, he's got something there for you. And um, so check it out. So thank Thank you you so much. Thanks for having me.